Well, howdy. All right, it's, uh, it's great to see you all. I um, love looking at my calendar and knowing that I'm gonna be at Faithbridge. So I look forward to these Sundays. And uh, so I'm so glad that I get to be back and continue this Devil Wears series with you. Just to start off, let me tell you about um, my time in college. The way that my friends and I expressed our care for each other is we hurt each other, like we beat each other up, we wrestled, like that's how my guy friends and I communicated care. Ladies, you do it differently, like y'all write sweet notes to each other, you sign it Lilas, which means love you like a sister, and, uh, but guys, we just beat each other up, and that's our way of saying we're besties, you know, that's what you do, we're best friends, and so that's how we communicate with each other. Uh, when I was a junior at Texas A&M, uh, I lived in an apartment with five guys, and there were three bedrooms on the second floor, and a guy named John Paul and I, we shared one of the rooms. Then right next door to our room was John's room. And so kind of the, the wrestling always transpired between John and myself or John and John Paul. So John Paul and I, we decided to, to team up against John one day, and I will just never forget this day because it was just a display of God's goodness and kindness in my life. Uh, the plan was that John Paul and I would, would tag team. I went and I hid in the bathroom. And the thought was that John Paul would lure John out of his room and then I would sneak in John's room and just see what God had in store for us. And so uh, everything worked out perfectly. Okay, John Paul began to verbally taunt John, which lured him out of his room. It worked just like we planned that it would. And I was hiding in the bathroom, and after I saw John pass by, I went and I hid in John's room. I got under his desk, and I pulled his chair into the desk so they couldn't see that I was in there. And then I just sat and I waited, and I listened to see what would happen. And so what I heard was I heard John Paul and John wrestling in our room and then John broke free and sprinted back to his room, slammed the door and locked it. And then pride began to just verbally haze John Paul feeling that he had merged victorious. So then he walked over his, to his desk and he pulled out his chair and he sat down and he pulled his chair in. So now here I am under the desk. And John is in this very vulnerable position. And so here's what I did was I just with all of my strength, I just go and I push his chair out and John goes and he falls back on his bed just paralyzed like what just happened. And so I leap out and I just start wailing. And I was like, this is too good for just me to experience. So I run over while John's just still on the ground. I unlock the door, let John Paul in. And the two of us are like velociraptors. We come in from the side and we're just, I mean, we're taking it to John and he deserved it because he always deserved it. He didn't need to give us a, he, he just always deserved it. Even yesterday we were texting and like in our texts, we're talking about who's going to dominate the other person like the next time we get together just because that's how our relationship goes. The reason I even share that with you is because of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 when he talks about the devil. He says, be sober minded, be watchful. 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I read that verse and I think about that story and I think it makes um, me the devil in that story. (laughs) But the reality is this, you know, just because John couldn't see me didn't mean I wasn't there. And just because we can't see an enemy doesn't mean that we don't have one. And if there's anything that I can just get you to get your heart and mind around is the fact that you have a real enemy. And every single day when you get out of bed and you put your feet on the floor, you're not just stepping into life. You are stepping onto a battlefield with a real enemy who hates you. And his desire is to ruin your view of and your relationship with God. And he wants you to live your life fueled by guilt, shame, and regret more than fueled by the the joy and the life and the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And so uh, we've been doing this series, The Devil Wears, because uh, my goal has simply been to let you in on the tactics that your enemy is actively using in your life. So if you were here back in the fall when we started this series, we talked about the fact that the devil wears deception and the devil wears unforgiveness. Those are two major tactics that he will use in our lives. This morning, what I want to talk about is the fact that the devil wears temptation. That one of the greatest strategies that he will employ in your life is temptation. You are being tempted whether you realize it or not. And his goal in your life is to make you feel ineffective, unfruitful, and unlovable by God. And so let's talk about temptation. If you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I know the ushers just handed out Bibles. Hopefully you have a copy of the scriptures for us to look at Matthew chapter 4 together. Matthew chapter 4 is known as the temptation of Jesus Christ. In order to get a full picture of what's happening in Matthew chapter 4, we actually have to start reading at the end of Matthew chapter 3. So let's look and let's read, starting in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, all eyes on me, what I need you to understand is the temptation of Jesus is preceded by the baptism of Jesus, and the baptism of Jesus in the temptation of Jesus aren't mutually exclusive. They actually have a lot to do with each other, because at the baptism of Jesus, this familial relationship is revealed to us. And God the Father is kind of in, in many ways introducing us to his son, saying, this is my son. So it's identifying God as father and Jesus as son. Now, the devil is going to come in in chapter four, and he's going to lead Jesus into temptation. And the goal of the temptation is, is the devil is trying to display that God the Father is really not that great of a father. And God the Son is really not that great of a son. And so here's what I need you to realize. You will know that the devil is being successful in your life if you're believing the lie that your father in heaven is not that great of a father. 
If you've bought into that lie, you need to know that your enemy is winning in your life right now. And the other way that you will know that he's having an impact in your life is when you begin to believe, I'm just not that great of a son. I'm just not that great of a daughter. And your life is plagued by the guilt and the shame that's associated with having a distorted understanding of your identity in Jesus Christ. So as we look at the temptation, I just want you to have that playing in the background that he's trying to expose God the Father as not a great father and he's trying to expose Jesus the Son as not that great of a son. Now, what I'm gonna show you in Matthew chapter four is that the devil is targeting certain areas of our life with temptation. And what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to open your eyes this morning to three key areas of your life that your enemy is targeting. Okay, the first area of your life that he is targeting is your hunger. He's targeting your hunger. Look with me, Matthew chapter four, let's start in verse one. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so all eyes on me, let's just make sure that we're on the same page about what's happening here. Jesus is led out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. So naturally, he is hungry. And what the devil does is he begins to target Jesus' hunger. And he's basically like, why don't you do something with these stones? You wouldn't have to do something with these stones if your father was a good father. But this is where he's trying to put seeds of doubt into Jesus' mind. Your father isn't that great of a father. Jesus, you deserve to be worshipped as a king. But here you are out in the wilderness. What type of good dad lets their kid starve in the desert? But then he says, if you are the son of God, he's saying, Let's see how good of a son of God you really are. I mean, if you really are the son of God, why don't you prove it? Now, I'm going to ask you a dumb question. Was it wrong for Jesus to feel hungry? No. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. That was natural. Um, Would it have been wrong for Jesus to eat something? The answer is yes. Why? because that isn't what God had asked him to do yet. God hadn't led Jesus out of the wilderness yet to actually satisfy his hunger. And so what I need you to see uh, the devil doing is he's targeting Jesus's hunger and what he's doing is he's inviting Jesus to satisfy a legitimate hunger in an illegitimate way. That's what he's doing, that's what he did to Jesus. And that's actually what he does in our lives. He invites us to satisfy legitimate hungers in an illegitimate way. Um, I think back to several years ago, I was at a wedding and uh, the groom's cake was this awesome Gibson Les Paul guitar. That's, that was the groom's cake. And I remember seeing my second cousin who was just like four or five years old at the time and he was just by himself at the groom's cake pacing back and forth, like, like his neck didn't move. He was just like, 
just eyeing that thing down. And, uh, you know, they really should put like security guards by Grimm's cakes when there's kids present. But he, he was pacing back and forth and, and I could just read him clearly. Like I could see the self-control dissipating. Like it, it was receding quickly. And uh, I just saw this moment of passion where he took that finger <laughs> and that cake that had not been cut yet, he just plunged it into the cake. And my cousin saw it and she grabbed him back. And these were his exact words with the same amount of passion. He goes, I want that guitar cake and I want it now. I was like, man, I get that. I respect that. But let me tell you what's happening. You're trying to fulfill a legitimate hunger in an illit- I didn't have that moment with him. But that's what was happening. There was a legitimate hunger. He's seeing something that's desirable and it's not wrong that he desired the guitar cake. The problem was that he was trying to satisfy his legitimate hunger in an illegitimate way. So let me just ask you, what's the guitar cake in your life? Just think about that. What are you hungry for? And I'm not just talking about physical hunger right now. Like, what is your soul hungry for? And what I need you to know is whatever your soul is hungry for, that absolutely can be a legitimate hunger. Like, you might be in here and you might be hungry for success. That's okay. I think that even might be a God-given desire. It's okay for you to be hungry for success. Maybe you're here and you want to know that your, your life matters and you're giving your life to something noble and you're doing well at it. Maybe you're hungry to know that you're, you're significant, that, that you're, you're, what you're doing as a mom or as a dad is truly seen. Maybe you're hungry for approval or acceptance. Maybe you just long to hear your mom or dad say, yeah, I, I love you. I approve of you. Maybe you want to hear that from a boss or from your husband or your wife. Maybe you're hungry Maybe you're hungry for peace. Maybe your life has just felt really chaotic and it's like one storm rolls in, then when it rolls out, another rolls in and just life has been full of pressure and maybe you're just hungry for a moment of peace. Maybe you're hungry for love. You're tired of living alone. You're tired of feeling lonely. You're, you're hungry to feel that companionship and know that you're loved by another person. I just want to say, I don't think that these hungers are wrong in and of themselves. These hungers can be God-given hungers. Where the problem comes in is when we seek to satisfy these legitimate hungers in illegitimate ways. That is how the devil can be successful in our lives is what he does is he invites us to experience instant short-term gratification. It's this idea of like, if your father was a good father, he would have already cut the, the cake by now. He would have already cut you a piece. But if God's not cutting you a piece of love or, or acceptance or success or peace from all the pressure, then you know what? Take it for yourself. And so what do we do? 
Sometimes if we're hungry for success, we try and satisfy that hunger in an illegitimate way. So we step on people, or we step over people, or we use people. We see people in this world for what they can do for us. So we see people for their money, or we see people for their um, position, believing that they can elevate our position. Or maybe we cut corners, or we lie or tell half-truths in order to get where we want to go, and in order to receive uh, people's approval or acceptance, in order to satisfy that hunger, we might conform. We might become whoever someone else needs us to be in order for us to be enough for them. So maybe we change the way that we talk. Maybe we manipulate our diet in an unhealthy way, or we dress provocatively because we want someone's approval. In our hunger for peace, you know what we do? We just numb life. So we might drink too much or, or misuse prescription medication or uh, turn to, to drugs to numb our pain. If we're hungry for love, we compromise our convictions and we settle to get what we want when we want it. You know what the problem is with instant or short-term gratification? The problem is that often short-term gratification is followed by long-term guilt, shame, and regret. And so let me just show you that there's a better way. How does Jesus respond when the enemy targets his hunger? How does Jesus respond? He quotes scripture. And what does he say? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's he saying? He's saying, food isn't my greatest need right now. Am I hungry? Absolutely. But is that what I need most? The answer is actually no. Here's what I need you to know. What you hunger for right now might be a legitimate hunger, but it probably isn't your greatest need. Do you realize that? Like what you need most might not be what you need most. The thing you need most is Jesus Christ. Like if God could give you anything, the best thing that God could give you right now is more of himself. But if you question if God really cares about you, all you have to do is look at Jesus because that Jesus was God's gift to us. And what does Jesus say about himself? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not, what? Hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never Thirst. I think about my son Jake when he's he's 17 months old right now. And there's there's been times where he wakes up in the morning, we hear him in the baby monitor, and my wife and I, or when my wife or I open his door in the morning, he starts crying. It's like, thanks a lot, dude. Like I was looking forward to seeing you, but I don't know what that means when I walk in and you start crying. That's not a good sign. But he starts crying because he wants milk. But the reason that he cries is because his memory in some way resets every morning and he doesn't trust that his mom and dad aren't perfect, but they're good parents. We're at least good enough to know what he needs when he needs it. And so every morning, open the door, holding milk, but he starts to cry until what? Until he sees the milk and I sit him down and I let him drink. And I just wonder how many of us, I mean, God has continually shown his kindness in our lives. 
and yet we still wonder, do you really have what I need? Like, do you still really get me? Like, can I really trust that you have my best interests in mind? And yet all he has to do is point at the cross. And God has every right to say, you know what, even if I never gave you another thing, I've already given you too much because I gave my son to have you. God can be trusted. So as the evil one targets your hunger, just know that your father knows what you need. And he can be trusted to satisfy the deepest hungers of your soul. The second thing that our enemy targets is our application of God's word. You need to know the devil is targeting your application of God's word. Look back at Matthew chapter four, look at verses five through seven, it says this, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again is it, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is interesting. In the first temptation, he tempts him with hunger and how does Jesus respond? He quotes scripture. So now Satan's like, oh, I've got a seminary degree. So if you're gonna quote scripture, I'll just do the same. In that intro, have you ever thought that the devil actually knows the Bible better than you know the Bible? And this is where he gets so crafty is he will actually take this book and use it against us. And so what is he asking Jesus to do? He's saying, hey, throw yourself off. Let's just see how good your father is because he's written that he's gonna take care of you. So let's just see if he truly is a good father. Let's see if he'll really take care of you. Here's the problem with that. God the Father had not asked God the Son to throw himself off of a pinnacle of the temple. So if Jesus did that, what would Jesus be doing? He would have been stepping outside of the will of God. He would have been putting God to the test. Ultimately, what Jesus would have been doing is he would have been trying to justify sin with the word of God. I can do this because God said in his word that he would take care of me. And if you look back through history, Satan has been so successful at getting people to justify sin with the word of God. How do you think slavery was justified by Christians for decades with the word of God? How have supposed Christians justified standing on college campuses and at different places, holding up signs declaring who in this world God hates with the word of God? How have Christians justified approving of every type of lifestyle and belief system with the word of God? How have Christian uh, husbands and pastors justified oppressive and domineering leadership over women with the word of God? So here's what I want you to see. It is possible to justify sin with the word. How does this play out in most of our lives? Here's what I need you to see. It's in the ways that we subtly justify the things in our lives that we label. It's just not that big of a deal. Like what is that for you in your life? Like God has told you in his word, like I'm not good with this. And you've slapped the label on it. It's just not that big of a deal. Like, I want to gossip. I want to share this information with this person. So you know what I'll do? I'll preface it. Hey, I don't want to gossip right now. 
But did you know that? You know the preface doesn't nullify the gossip. I just want to do it. it. You know what? It's not that big of a deal. You know what? If I drink too much, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. I want to escape to fantasy worlds on the internet because my spouse isn't meeting my needs. You know what? It's just not that big of a deal. You know what? If I lose it with my kids, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. I can say what I want to my, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. If I cut these corners at work, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. If I spend money that I don't have, you know what? It's just not that big of a deal. What is it for you? Do you know What's happening is you're actually justifying your sin with the word of God. And you might be like, no, I'm not. Well, let me tell you how you're justifying your sin with the word of God. Because ultimately, for you to take God's commands and decide it's not that big of a deal, what's probably happening is you've just gotten so used to abusing God's grace and forgiveness. Why? Because the word of God says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves me. He's never gonna stop loving me. I probably shouldn't do this. But in the end, God forgives me. And that might not be your conscious thought but you live what you believe. I remember I was on a plane years ago and I looked over to my right and this guy was reading his Bible. I was like, way to go, man, that's awesome. So he's reading his Bible, but then I looked in his hand and honestly, I don't know what he was doing. I didn't sit there and just stare at this guy to see what he was doing, but in his hand, he had a highlighter and a whiteout pen. I was like, interesting combination. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing with them. Honestly, I don't. But I just thought about us. I was like, I wonder if that's our approach to this book. I wonder if many of us come to this book with spiritual highlighters and whiteout pens where it's like, there's definitely stuff in here I'm going to highlight with my life. God loves me. God forgives me. God's grace is sufficient. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Okay. Now he wants me to change this. Wipe that puppy out. <laughs> oh, he's calling me to not let any unwholesome talk proceed from my mouth. Eh, delete, you know, it's like we just have these, you know, I, I don't, I, that's too uncomfortable. That requires too much of me. That's too radical. God, I'm just going to wipe that out. And we'll just label it, it's just not that big of a deal. How did Jesus respond? He rightly applied the word of God. You can't know God's ways without knowing his word. But there is a right way to interpret this text. You don't fit this book into your life. You fit your life into this book. There's a big difference. The third way, the third thing that the devil targets in our lives is our pride. The devil is targeting your pride. Look at what it says in verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, 
And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Satan takes Jesus to a place where he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan's basically like, all of this can be yours. There's no need for you to go to the cross. There's no need for you to suffer. You can have all of the glory now. You can be the king of all of this now. There's only one thing that I ask for in return, and it's what belongs only to God. It's worship. I want that instead. And this shows us something interesting about Satan. It shows us what his ultimate goal is. His ultimate goal is to steal from God. He wants the glory that only rightfully belongs to God. And so that's what he's seeking to accomplish in our lives through targeting these different areas. He's trying to steal from God. And one of the greatest ways he does that is by appealing to our pride is that he, he moves into our lives in a subtle way, just like he did with Adam and Eve. What was his lie that he said to Adam and Eve? You don't need God because you can be God. And so that's what he does in our lives is he, he steps in and he begins to lie to us and he targets our pride so that we might get to a place where we will say, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. God says to go that way and something in us just says, you know what, I'm gonna do what I want to do. I don't need God in this area because I can be God. So you know what, I'm gonna eat what I wanna eat. I'm gonna say whatever I wanna say. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna spend what I wanna spend. I'm gonna go where I wanna go. If I wanna sleep with that person, I'm gonna sleep with that person. If I wanna, you know, if I'm gonna cut this, I'm gonna cut this. If I wanna lie and tell this half truth, I'm gonna lie and tell that half truth. I am going to do what I wanna do. I'm gonna parent how I wanna parent. I'm gonna talk to my spouse how I wanna talk to my spouse. I'm gonna do marriage how I wanna do marriage. I am going to do what what I want to do. And Satan uses that pride in our lives to bring a lot of chaos and a lot of brokenness. See, I think about uh, H-E-B. I go to H-E-B with my kids, and especially when my kids were younger, they always wanted to get in the shopping carts that were, looked like uh, race cars, you know what I'm talking about? They're like lifesavers for parents. My kids are like nine now. They're like, can we get that? I'm like, dude, your knees would be at your throat. Like you don't fit in that anymore. But it's interesting because they're shaped like race cars and uh, they have steering wheels on them. So you have all these parents pushing their kids around and kids are sitting there steering. And I've just thought like, what if there was power to those steering wheels? Can you imagine the chaos that would erupt in H-E-B if all these two-year-olds got power to those steering wheels? But that's how we go through life, not to insult you, but we are like the two-year-olds in our little shopping carts saying, you know what, uh, mom, dad, I'll take it from here. Thanks for getting me here, but I'm gonna go where I wanna go. If I wanna go to the candy aisle, that's where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go where I wanna go. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna eat where I wanna eat. I am going to do life on my own. I'm in charge. God, 
I don't exist for you, you exist for me. So not your will, but my will be done. How did Jesus respond to the temptation to pride? He responded with humility. Jesus wasn't his God, and what does he say? He says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He was the Lord. He deserved to be worshiped. Yet when Satan was offering a path of comfort, he chose the cross. And so I just want you to know, you want to walk in victory? You know where it starts? It starts with humility. Starts with daily surrender of saying, you know what, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, my way of doing things will be wrong. Your way of doing things is right. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart today. Would you come and rule and reign in my life? You're king and I'm not. I exist for you. Have your way in my life. I just want you to see how the passage ends Verse 11, it says this, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Did you see that? It says that the devil left him. Let me just ask you, do you think that that's possible for you? Like, could that statement be said in your life, that the devil left you? James seemed to think so. What does he say in James 4, 7? It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So James at least believed in some scenario where the devil feels so ineffective in your life that he's like, okay, this clearly isn't going anywhere. Let me go somewhere else and bother someone else at least for a little bit. He might leave for a few minutes. He might leave for a few hours. He might leave for a few days. I don't know the length of time that the devil might leave you alone. I just know that it's possible for this statement to be true. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How is that possible? Because you might hear that and be like, that will never be me. Because every life, every day it feels like I try and I fail. Let me tell you why, it, why it's even possible. It's possible because Jesus was victorious in his greatest time of temptation. You realize that Matthew 4 wasn't the greatest temptation that Jesus ever experienced. Jesus' greatest temptation came several chapters later in Matthew 27 when he hung on a cross. And some people gathered around the cross and here's what they yelled at him in verse 40. They said, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. It's the same wording that the devil used. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off this temple, turn these stones to bread. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Imagine if Jesus was like, fine. If that's what you think I should do, I'm going to get off the cross. Imagine if he had, where would we be today? What hope would we have today? Jesus Christ was successful in his greatest time of temptation. He was tempted to get down off the cross. Instead, he hung there faithfully. 
And as he hung there on the cross, it was the greatest display of judgment and love in one place. The greatest display of judgment as the wrath of God was poured out upon the Son of God for your sin and for mine. And it was the greatest display of love because what Jesus Christ accomplished on that moment made it possible for we who were enemies of God to become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So now think about where that takes us. It now takes us back to the baptism of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came out of the waters, God the Father spoke, and what did he say? He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what the Bible says is that when we know Jesus, we are somehow now hidden in Christ. That our identity changes, and now we are children of God. And so as now as sons and daughters of God, the words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism, he now speaks over our lives continually. The message from God the Father to you is this, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And that is incredible implications because what that means is we aren't fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. That we aren't trying to overcome our sin on our own to get to God. No, God came to us, he dealt with our sin, and now he has made a way for us to live in loving relationship every moment of every day as he carries us along victoriously through our sin. This is how good God is. I just think about the times that I speak life into my kids and how it can change their demeanor, and how it can bring peace when they're reminded of my love, acceptance, and approval for them. And I just wonder if there's something there for us today. Like when Jesus was tempted, yeah, he was physically famished, but he was spiritually full because he walked into temptation being confident in the Father's love, acceptance, and approval of him. I wonder if there's something there for us today that the message today isn't just go and watch out, be on your guard. No, the message is go and be loved. Go and receive the love, acceptance, and approval of God. Because when you do, you know what it does? It does something to your hungers. It realizes that your greatest needs have already been satisfied. It does something to your relationship with the word of God instead of trying to rationalize it, you receive it and you submit yourself to it. And it does something to your pride when you know the love, acceptance, and approval of the Father. You don't exalt yourself, you exalt the one who has brought you into right relationship with God. And you freely surrender surrender to him daily. Can we walk in that this morning? Like if you hear anything this morning, can it be the words of your perfect heavenly father to you? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray together. Lord, my fear is that when we talk about the devil, we would in some way give him too much credit 
So we're just reminded that he's just a creature. And there's not dualism in the world. Like there isn't some epic battle between good and evil. Now the, the war has already been won. You, Jesus, have overcome. You have conquered him. And so, God, I thank you, God, that we don't have to fight for victory. We can fight from victory, knowing that through faith in you, we have the love, acceptance, and approval of a perfect God. I pray that you would personalize that for us today. If there's anyone in here who doesn't know you already, God, would you do something in their life? Would you call them to yourselves? I pray that they would respond in faith to you and invite you into their lives as Savior today. But I pray that your love, your acceptance, and approval would sink in deep to our lives. May it change our hungers. May it change the way that we respond to your word. And may it change our pride. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've accomplished. Lord, as we are tempted today and in this coming week, Lord, may we walk victoriously in your power because you, Jesus, were faithful in your greatest time of temptation. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand with me? Let's join together and let's sing to our King who is victorious over our sin.